0: We are in Mark chapter 14, and we will be covering the, the time just prior to what we just participated in this morning, and that is communion, um, the Lord's Supper. Last week, we, um, we learned about Mary and her love for the Lord and her expression of her love for the Lord. And today, we're going to talk about Judas. <laughs> what a contrast, right? We go from Mary to Judas. It's a good contrast, though, because we get to see how it is that, this is important, Jesus not only loved Mary, but he also loved Judas. Think about that. He loved Judas. It's a good lesson for all of us to learn. Let's begin though in Mark chapter 14, verse 10. And by the way, the title of this morning's message is Love Your Enemies. Love your enemies. Mark chapter 14 and verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray. Him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Again, Lord, we commit this time of studying your word into your hands, Lord, we ask that we would, you would help us simply to yield ourselves to you at this very moment. Lord, that we would trust what you say, your word. That we would express a faith, Lord, in your word. Lord, and may this moment, Lord, capture our undivided attention, Lord. Lord. That we are giving to you, expecting from you to speak to us and to minister to us and to help us grow and perhaps repent of things that are not of you, Lord, that, are, that offend you, Lord, that are a sin. That we may more closely resemble you and bring you glory in our lives. Help us to learn how to love our enemies just as you have. And just as you do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so G.K. Chesterton said this, quote, The Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people. Close quote. Listen, it's easy to love those who love you, isn't it? It is, it's easy. It's our response. It's a a natural response. It's easy to love those who love us. But it isn't so easy to love those who hate you, persecute you, and are actively trying to destroy you. That's not easy. But then again, that's the thing about God. God. He has never asked us to do the easy thing. has never required of us to just simply go along to get along. To redefine love and to be compromising and to sin and for the sake of just being united, but united in a false way. He calls us to do the right thing. That's what he requires of us. To do the right thing and oftentimes the right thing is the hardest thing. He requires of us what the world doesn't understand. Don't expect for the world to understand when you stand up in godly conviction and do the right thing. Don't expect the world to <laughs> applaud you, give you accolades. Affirm you. Confirm your stance and come alongside you. Expect rather the complete opposite. Persecution. Anger. Opposition. Jesus prepared us well. He told us to expect these things. I love that. I love that my Savior, my God told me the truth and then helped me to prepare for what is to come when I stand in the truth. So the world doesn't understand when we stand in righteousness and we do the hard thing, but the right thing, what can only be done by his spirit and by his strength and by exercising our faith and trust in him. For us, sometimes we look at the word in something like this and we say, love our enemies. That seems completely unnatural. Opposite to what I should be doing. Shouldn't we hate our enemies? It doesn't make sense. And God says, I know. Trust me anyway. You see, God is interested in your heart. As, as I thought about this, as I went through this, I thought... Lord, you are interested in keeping our hearts pure and right before you. Oh, what genius, right? His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. You know the reason why we ought to love our enemies? It's not for the sake of the enemy, but it's for your sake. You're the one that's affected. We're the ones that are affected when we express an anger, a jealousy, a bitterness, all of those things, guess who's who it's affecting? You. And it messes with your walk with the Lord. It takes you off track, distracts you. Derails you. A loving neighbor makes you want to bless them. It even Makes you want to draw near to them, right? That's attractive. You know, I, I want to draw near to the one that blesses me, the one who's nice, <clears throat> who acknowledges me. I want to draw near to them. They, you, you want to get around them. Oh, but an enemy? <laughs> if you're honest, uh, your enemy wants, uh, makes you want to curse them. Makes you want to run away from them. You see someone who you dislike. Do you naturally like walk toward them? No. No, right? Think about this, right? You see an enemy. You someone. You see someone who doesn't. You know. You know they don't like you. You go. Huh, I see him over there. I'll go over here, <laughs> or over there, but anywhere but there right? That's what we tend to do. We shy away, we, we hide, and we don't want to be around. But this is what the natural man does, and this is what the world does. Today, your enemies can bully you online, hack your social media accounts, make false statements about you, spread rumors and lies, meme pages that are embarrassing, repeatedly send you unwanted messages, cancel you from groups online or social groups, minimize you, marginalize you, and even dox you. That is public for, for anyone who doesn't know what doxing means, it means that someone has published your private information about you for the purpose of revenge or punishment you would think that god would just simply hate the enemy destroy them send them to hell oh the the depth of depravity that can that can sink down into our hearts wishing harm on them. But that's not what God does. He didn't do that. He isn't doing that. And he doesn't do that. He is just. But he doesn't send anyone to hell. Everyone who goes to hell... Does so willingly with plenty of warning, especially here in America. In America, people oftentimes that are unbelievers know the word better than believers do. What does the Lord require of us? And that's the question that we ought to ask. When it comes to our enemies, turn with me to Matthew Chapter Five. And we're going to go to verse forty three. Matthew Chapter Five, verse forty three. Um, This is, by the way, the Sermon on the Mount that starts back in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 2. And he starts out by saying, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, this is part of it. Still teaching his disciples. All of them are around him. He sat down. They were all standing. Teaches them this very important principle for us to learn, to understand, and apply. Verse 43, regarding enemies, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, and as we read that, again, we we think, this is so hard. Like, you're calling me to love my enemies. To pray for those who persecute me. I, I, I like the first part where it says, you know, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Can't can we do that, Lord? That's easy. It says, no. You need, you need to do the hard thing but the right thing. And there's a reason for that. Again, It's to guard your own heart. Just make sure you're in the right place and you desire the same things that I desire, says the Lord. For God wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's time to grow up, church. It's time to do the hard thing. To mature. That last verse there, Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect, mature in your walk with the Lord to the point where you have stability and are able to walk out the difficult things that the Lord requires of us and not make provision for the flesh, but rather walk in the spirit that we would not gratify the lust of the flesh. You know, Benjamin Franklin said, love your enemies for they tell you your faults, close quote. In other words, this is what your enemy can do. They can bring out in us things that are disgusting to God. Did you know that? Our enemies can, can bring out to the surface the worst thing in us. Just, just think about your response to your enemy They come around you if you have thoughts about them. Those things that you're thinking, those things that you're acting upon or reacting to your enemy with, much of those need to simply be confessed to the Lord and repented of. Again, it's the heart. Because in our hearts, we can be filled with hatred, bitterness, Resentment, desire for revenge. Oh, and by the way, revenge is taken out in subtle ways. Brothers and sisters, don't think that we fool the the Lord. The Lord knows when you slight someone, when you ignore them, when you play games with your relationships, when you set them up, when you talk behind their backs in a subtle way, but you're implying something. God knows all those things. We, we are fooled in our own hearts, thinking that you know, what we're doing is something that is okay. No, it's not okay. Because it turns into acts of insults, words of condemnation, and so much more. Instead, as we acknowledge our enemy, those who persecute us, first and foremost, maintain your composure. Can we say that together, church? Maintain your composure. Maintain your composure. Don't quickly react to things. To a person, be still and know that he is God. How am I to respond or am I to respond in this situation? What would bring glory to the Lord? Those are all questions that we should be asking for we are followers of Jesus Christ. We seek to honor and glorify him. Because keep in mind something very important. God always maintains his composure. Aren't we supposed to reflect his character? You you ever see him get all upset and... Oh, I can't believe Johnny did that. Oh, man. Done. Stricken. Done. You're out. He doesn't do that. Right? That's us. That's what I'm saying. In the moment... We need to take a step back, take a deep breath, consider God, what he requires of us, and maintain our composure. Because God always maintains his composure, even when he's surrounded by his enemies. We see that time and time again. Because he knows that his will will be done. Because he is sovereign. Sovereign. Who is above God? Who is more powerful than God? Anyone? Nothing. No one, right? Beside him, there is no other. Therefore, we too should believe that and maintain our composure and be confident that God's will will not be thwarted. It can't be. Think about that. Even Judas couldn't thwart God's plan of redemption. He didn't have that power. Pilate didn't have the power to crucify Jesus unless it was given to him by the Father. If we acknowledge these things, then we can, we can take a step back. We can maintain our composure and be confident that God's will will not be thwarted, because it can't be, because no one is greater than him. Oh, it kind of just helps us relax a bit. Relax, you all stressed out, you all worried, overwhelmed about your circumstances or whatever issues you're going through. God is with you. That's the most important thing and he'll get you through it. Or perhaps he's just calling you to learn to be content in him even if you remain in those circumstances. This morning's lesson is how to love your enemy and maintain a godly composure even when the enemy is actively opposing you, and perhaps even more so during that time, learning to maintain our composure and to respond in a godly way. A lesson on how to respond to a perhaps Judas, a betrayer of God. As we go back to Mark chapter 14... And we look again once at verse, or again at verses 10 and 11, we see the enemy's hatred of God. Again, let's read. Then Judas in verse 10, Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So let's think about this Judas Iscariot was one of the 12 apostles. In other words, one of the 12 that were closest to Jesus. He was a man who spent the last three years with Jesus. Sat under Jesus' teaching, was taught how to minister to others, saw the miracles, was prayed for by Jesus, was taught how to pray, had even been sent out to preach the gospel. Think about all these. These are things that we've already gone over. He was a part of this ministry, close to Jesus, brought in by Jesus, Jesus knowing fully who he was. He was empowered by Jesus and was entrusted as the keeper of the finances of Jesus' earthly ministry. As, as we consider these things like wow sometimes we, we we tend to think that everything has to be perfect in order for us to be considered to be wise and discerning and a good steward of what God's entrusted to us no sometimes just the Judas's need to be revealed so back again relax God is still in control God is has always been, is and always will be in control. Oh man, it, it like puts a big load off of you. Takes a big load off of you when, when you consider this and believe it. Well, perhaps it was unconfessed and unrepented, sin of greed in Judas's own heart. That was the cause of him betraying Jesus, but with that, I mean, we can consider all other things that he had resentment toward Jesus as he had rebuked him before with Mary as she came with with the oil, expensive perfume, and, and, uh, and anointed Jesus for his burial, and he was corrected. Who likes to be corrected? Anyone like to be corrected? No, in fact, that's, that's another thing we need to really get over ourselves in regards to being corrected. Who are you to correct me? That's pride, by the way. That, that's all that is. That's pride. But we do know that Judas was greedy. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one. And despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Hey, listen, today, too many people are serving money. And we know that to be true. Our decisions revolve around our income. The decisions that we make on a weekly basis of, what are we doing for the weekend today? How, what, what is it that we're going to do with our family? We check um, our bank account. We can see what we spend most on. We cannot serve God and money. Money needs to be looked at as a tool. Simply a, a tool. Are we get stewards with that which God has entrusted to us. Recognizing that that doesn't belong to us either. Like what, what he's, by the way, he's given you the ability to provide. Even that, it does not belong to you, it does not belong to me. Your, your, your intellect, your knowledge, all of that's been given to you. Is that how we respond to that? As we've been entrusted with that, we know this doesn't belong to me. I need to bless and honor the Lord. Even with my finances. Because money can be the cause of our betrayal of God in his ministry. Did you know that? Are you allowing yourself to be a betrayer of God in some way as you serve money rather than God? Turn with with me to Mark chapter 26. Mark chapter twenty six. Let's go to verse fourteen. I'm sorry, Matthew. Did I say Matthew? Mark, what did I say? Mark, there is no chapter twenty four. You should know that I was testing you. It's Matthew chapter twenty six. Some of you were looking. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 14, gives a little insight into what happened with Judas. It says, then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. He went and he solicited Jesus, knowing that he was hated, they wanted to kill him. He says, Hey, how much will you give me if I hand him over to you? Listen, if money's your God, you will be inclined to betray the true God and the ministry of the gospel for the sake of money. How much will you give me, you know, really to make my life more comfortable, to, to give me that contentment, by the way, that is. Passing its vanity. How much will you give me? So I, I betray my ministry. I betray my, my God. I, I hand him over. Hey, listen. Judas did it for 30 pieces of silver. How much will you do it for? An easier life. Comfort. Oh, we look for things. Today... I know in California we're looking for ways to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like this horrible Gavin Newsom's the devil. Uh. Yeah. But listen, can I can I to be upfront with you guys God has never promised us an easy life perhaps he's called you to rise up at such a time as this in California believe it or not can we just stay and fight can we be counted on Life does not belong to us. Can we proclaim the gospel? Can we share the good news with more people? Don't get wrapped up in everything. Pay attention to that, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Draw closer to him. Again, Judas did it for 30 pieces. I pray that we will not do it for any amount of money. That you first and foremost think about the Lord when you make any decision. What would honor? What would glorify him? And also, what would shame him? What would offend him? What would be a sin? What would undermine the work that he's doing? I don't want to be any part of that. Verse 11, as we go back to Mark, chapter 14. In verse 11, we see that enemies will agree. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised. To give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Hey, listen! Just because others agree with you doesn't mean that you are confirmed in your decision decision to do your will instead of God's will. Oh, we hunt for the right response, don't we? Until we get it, that's what I wanted to hear. You just confirm you're sent by God. You just told me what I wanted to hear. And I'm so thankful for you. Like everyone else, yeah, they just don't know. Yeah, the enemies will agree. Keep in mind that these people were very religious and had authority and power, knew the law, the word of God very well. And yet, they had a hatred for Jesus and were not going to rest until they destroyed him. Mark chapter 3, verse 6 says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. It's way back in chapter 3. They were already looking for ways to arrest him and destroy him. They wanted to just stop him, shut him up. And they said this after he healed a man with a withered hand. He, he performed a miracle, he, proving that he is the Son of God. He had the power to make whole this man with a withered hand. Just because Judas had a general agreement didn't, quote-unquote, confirm that he was doing the right thing. In fact, he, along with them, chose to do the wicked thing. David Guzik said this, quote, Whatever Judas's motive was, it was his motive. God used the wicked work of a willing Satan who used a willing Judas. God ordained these things happen, but he did not prompt Judas to sin. For he does not tempt anyone. Therefore, he is not the cause of people sinning. Listen, the enemies, enemies of God are glad when they hear of how they believe they can destroy Jesus. Oh, let's do this. They might not do it openly, but they are in agreement in work to do that. Destroy Jesus, his work, his people. And now they have someone on the inside that is willing to betray him. Oh, what joy for them. For the enemies of of Jesus, Judas coming to them, they thought, wow, we have someone on the inside now. Listen, I hope Satan is not rejoicing because he's found someone on the inside here that is willing to do his bidding and be used to undermine the church and work to destroy the work of God. You know we can do that. He loves to work from the inside out. From the outside, it's easy to detect, to discern the attacks from the enemy, right? From the outside. But from within, hmm, that's harder. So maintain your composure and also do the will of God. That's what we see Jesus doing. Verse 12, let's continue. On the first day of unleavened bread... When they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepared for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he, told, he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And as we learn, as Stephen shared with us, it was Peter and John that were sent to Jerusalem. Listen, regardless of what Jesus knew and what Ju- Judas was doing, Jesus continued to do the will of the Father. You know, that's a that's thing. Don't get overwhelmed with things. Uh, opposition, uh, enemies that are persecuting you. Um, speaking ill of you, trying to undermine you, all, all of those. And don't be distracted by that to the point to where you stop doing the will of the Father. Sometimes the Lord, it doesn't take much to take us off track. But we are confronted with something difficult, and then we stop serving. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I can no longer do this. Whatever it is, whatever ministry is within the church, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm like going through this. Well, it's in spite of that, we should bear down and say, nah, I know what the enemy's doing. I've seen this time and time again. I'm bearing down, and if, in fact, I'm going I'm to draw closer. I'm going to do more. It's not drawing away that will help. It's drawing closer, pressing in to Jesus, not drawing away from Jesus. Oh, Jesus, he pressed in even more to the Father. He wanted to do his will. He didn't get tied up with Judas and neglect what he was called to do. I love that. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. Maintain your composure and do the will of God. This is Nehemiah's response to his enemies. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Gesheb. They were all enemies of the great work that Nehemiah had given himself to. In Nehemiah chapter 6, need a little more time. Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah 6.1 says, Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, and let us meet together at Haciferim, in the plain of Ono. But they intended... Yeah, that would have, should have been... A clue, right? (laughs) Oh, no, don't go there. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, persistent. and And I answered them in the same manner, conviction. In the same way Sanballat for the fifth time came sent his uh, servant to me with an open letter in his hand in it was written it is reported among the nations and Geshem also says it that you and the Jews intend to rebel untrue that is why you are building the wall and according to these reports you wish to become their king untrue and you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you and Jerusalem There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together, a threat. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands." If you can, just mark that section of Scripture. Go back to it. (laughs) Nehemiah didn't fall for the enemy's tactics. This is what I'm telling you. Listen, we need to know the enemy's tactics and not fall for them. He wasn't about to stop doing what he knew was a great work. By the way, what what he said in that open letter, it it would have been in that day, as in today, someone being doxxed. Someone having something published publicly that is untrue of them, so that others may think a certain way toward them. Nehemiah didn't fall for it. He said, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I'm not giving the enemy my time. Not not at all. He was not going to engage the enemy in conversation. He just simply continued composed, and unmoved. Was unwavering in his commitment to do the work that was entrusted to him. I, I love that that's what we see. This is... A godly character that we are to reflect in our own lives. As we see Jesus doing himself back in Mark chapter 14. Hey, it was time to prepare the Passover meal and observe the Passover, and Jesus' disciples asked him where he desired for them to make, for him to make the preparations for for all of them. And Jesus sent two of his disciples to do so, Peter and John. Jesus is a son of God, but he did not have the. He did not give himself to the will of the enemy, he did not succumb to him. He didn't have also this preparation for the Passover announced publicly, he did it privately. This moment was a private observation of the Passover with his disciples because he had much more to tell them before he was crucified, before he was betrayed. The way this was done indicates that Jesus had disciples in Jerusalem also. And this was one of them. And they knew exactly what was taking place. And when Peter and John came to him, and they told him what Jesus had told them to say to him. He said, oh, "Here come; the place is prepared." It's also worth noting the the note about the man carrying a jar was peculiar. It wasn't common in that day for a man to carry a jar or a pitcher. It was common for a man to carry liquids or or water uh, in animal skins. And so, for them to come into come into town and And see this man carrying a jar with water. Mm, That's the one right there. And they followed him. This also indicates that Jesus had made previous arrangements with this man to do so. Oh, he makes his preparations. He goes to prepare a place for us. Oh, I can't wait to go to that place that he has prepared for us. Despite Jesus knowing that Judas was betraying him, Jesus maintained his composure and continued to do the will of the Father. But as he did that, we'll see how it is that he gave opportunity for Judas to repent. Verse 17, And when, and when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes, as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. It was now evening, the preparations had been made, and now Jesus was with his disciples reclining at table. The first Passover, by the way, was eaten, standing up, prepared to to, to leave. Now they were in the promised land, and that's why they practiced the Passover, eating the Passover meal, sitting down reclining at table. Relaxed, they had been brought into the promised land. This is the very evening that Jesus will be betrayed And this is what Mark focuses on, by the way, in this gospel, the gospel of Mark. He focuses in on that, and so will we. We know that Jesus is a Lamb of God who will be crucified. He'll be betrayed, arrested, ridiculed, mocked, falsely tried, accused, and tried, rejected, beaten, flogged, and crucified. But Jesus was doing something very important for us to acknowledge, understand, and do. He was giving Judas an opportunity to repent. Again, how do we respond to our enemies? This is how. This is the love that he had for Judas. He gave him an opportunity to repent. He just didn't dismiss him. He didn't brush it under, sweep it under the carpet. He didn't didn't ignore it. He dealt with it. He gave Judas, an opportunity to repent. What Jesus said was shocking to the twelve. We need to understand this is shocking to the twelve. That someone, one of us, was going to betray you? Of course, in that, when Jesus made that comment, everyone started to question Peter kind of waved to John, hey, ask him who. Right. This was deeply troubling. It is one of the twelve. He is considered my friend. It is one of the twelve. And he is considered my friend. Listen, Judas was not singled out to the twelve because they were all dipping their bread into the dish with Jesus. Jesus was serving them too. Remember what we were just reminded of this morning. He actually washed their feet too, including Judas, before he was betrayed. They were, they were bewildered. They were shocked. And even when, Jesus, when Judas was dismissed by Jesus to do what Satan had put in his heart, they thought he was conducting business, that Jesus perhaps had sent him out to do business. What you must do, do quickly. Oh, it's interesting how when we know we're not in the right place and then God's word comes forth in such a way. That's why, by the way, sometimes you're sitting there and you feel like, oh, he's talking directly to me. Who told him, right? And you sink in your chair. It's because you know, and you know that he knows. Because the disciples never suspected Judas of being the betrayer of Jesus. But the betrayer knew. He knew what he had already done and what he was about to do. But listen, Jesus gave him one last opportunity to repent. Again, verse 21 For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. That was the last warning. How many, how many warnings do we need? Warning tomorrow is not promised to ever, anyone. Today is the day of salvation. Repent, come to Jesus today. How many times have, have, uh, do we have to be warned of, the, of remaining in our, in our sin? And not confessing to Jesus, not crying out to him to be our Lord and our Savior. But Judas did it anyway. He betrayed Jesus. Listen, on the day of judgment, judgment, Judas can say these things, but it will not suffice. I was with Jesus when he was baptized and throughout his ministry. I was used in Jesus' ministry and was sent by him to proclaim the gospel. He can say, I was one of the 12 apostles. I was even the treasure of Jesus' earthly ministry. Hey, listen, I was just used simply to fulfill prophecy. None of that will suffice. None of that. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is not what God desires for you. That's why we're warned. We're warned. We're taught. We know better. You see, Jesus in love, in his love for Judas, gave Judas one last opportunity to repent and not follow through with what he desired to do. One last moment. One last opportunity. Repent. Perhaps today... He's giving you one last opportunity. Why do we keep waiting until tomorrow? Some other time. Why not yield and surrender to the Lord today? Confess, repent. Don't follow through with what you have in your heart that is not in line with the Lord's will. How are we to deal with enemies and love them? Well, in the same way. Don't stop serving God. Speak truth and give them an opportunity to repent. Corey Ten Boom said this, quote, You never so touch the ocean of God's love as when you forgive and love your enemies. Learn to identify enemies. Maintain your composure and do the will of God. And thirdly, warn and give repentance an opportunity, all applicable things to us. First of all, in learning to identify enemies, don't be ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. Know God's word and what a child of God looks like, acts like, and speaks like. Secondly, maintain your composure and do the will of God. Hey, listen, when your enemy enemy betrays you, maintain your composure and do and continue to do what is right. What you have learned is the will of God according to his word. Be led by the Spirit in great understanding. Thirdly and lastly, Warn and give repentance an opportunity. As Jesus did, so should we warn the enemy of God uh, of, of God's uh, wrath, of God's judgment, the consequences of their sin, and therefore giving them an opportunity to repent. This is, by the way, as we have seen, how Jesus loved Judas. And this is how we should love our enemies. Even when our enemies are actively opposing us and seeking to destroy us, we need to maintain our cool, trust in the Lord, knowing that he is greater and he is with us, and he desires that we continue to do his will. You see, the enemy will never thwart God's will, his plans. God's enemy can never crush you, and God's enemy can never destroy what God has given you to accomplish unless you allow them to. And I'll leave you with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Father, we, Lord, forgive us. perhaps we can, we can all confess to you that we have not loved our enemies the way it's been described, the way you require of us to love our enemies. Lord, help us to die to self. Lord, help us to reflect your character. Help us to walk in a manner that is glorifying to you, to do the difficult things, the right thing. And so, Father, fill us with your spirit guide and direct us. And I do pray that we do not put off for tomorrow what needs to be done today. Today is the day of salvation. I pray for anyone that does not know you, that today, Lord, they they'd simply confess to you. They cry out to you. Lord, there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so, Father, I pray that we confess to you, Lord, that we cry out to you, Lord, anyone who hasn't, Lord, our sins and repent of our sins and turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior and ask him to give us a new heart and the hope of heaven. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. I pray that we, as, as a people, Lord, would cry out to him and him alone. He is able. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.